Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Are both gone. Justin, as you know, before he came to Damascus Road, he was leading a, cal- a student ministry on campus called His House. And uh, he kind of doubled for a little bit. He was involved in leading the student ministry or the, the college age ministry there. And um, he was also kind of his on-ramp to being on staff here at Damascus Road. So today, um, one of his former students and who later became an intern with his house and then now took over the position that Justin had, uh, Jake is going to be preaching here this morning. So that's wonderful, right? To be able to see the, we, we keep talking about discipleship, right? And how the call of the church as disciples is to make disciples who make disciples. So for me, when I hear that Justin came and was serving in a, in a ministry here on campus and one of his students was there, and who knows what the conversations were like back in the day, right? But I would imagine that there were conversations where Justin and Jake are up at night talking about real life stuff and studying scripture and how does the gospel fit into your life here, right? And so then for just for for Justin to leave and for Jake to step into that, that to me is what discipleship looks like. Amen. So we get to we get to have the treat of having Justin of Justin's disciple, if you will. I don't want to beat that thing to death, but Really, it is something, right? So we want to so we want to welcome Jake up here as he uh, comes to open the word to us. Really good to be back. I feel like I've been away for a little while, um, but the summer's been nuts. You guys feel that? Um, vacations, and then I was on the student ministry trip, which was a trip. Just loved it. And then we went on another vacation, staycation kind of combination there. And it's just good to be back in community. I look forward to this day just to jump back in and what God has for us. Uh, so many good things on the student ministry trip. So many good things are happening in the lives of our students and what God is doing and teaching and leading and growing there. <clears throat> and I love seeing what God is doing. Our final night... We had this conversation around the fireplace, or around the campfire. It's not a a fireplace. We had the conversation around the campfire, which was, what's something that you want to leave behind when you go home? Something that you've noticed this week is holding you back, and you want to be able to let go of it. Let God take that away and just leave it here, throw it into the fire almost, and then head home, not letting that hold you back anymore. And what's something that you want to bring home? Something that you've realized, that you've learned, that you've seen this week, that you want to grab onto, and you want to take hold of, and you want to live that out as you go home. And that was a rich conversation. I loved seeing and hearing and listening to the kids as they reflected um, Sometimes in just fun, simple ways, and sometimes in really deep ways, and all of it in really good ways. Things that they wanted to let go and things that they wanted to grab onto uh, coming home. One of the highlights for me of that week happened on high ropes. Okay? I've been in a lot of high ropes courses in my life, and there's something about being 40 feet up in the air, walking across wires and cables, that brings out fear, Right? That's no joke. So we went out on a course. Lots of kids are doing it. Lots of kids are just kind of animals out there, and they're like more courageous than most of you would be. And they're going for it across 
I remember one kid, and you'll get to hear his story, hopefully, in a couple of weeks. One guy got out there and sort of froze. And I had a wonderful opportunity to have a conversation with him about fear and how he was holding on to fear and how I wouldn't let him turn around, how I was going to be even more stubborn than him when he kept saying, I want to go back. I don't want to do this. And I said, you have to. This is challenged by choice without choice. <laughs> okay. You can't go back until you step down on this second element, because he'd already done the first, right? He'd walked out from a tower uh, to a telephone pole 30, 40 feet up in the air, and he was uh, about to step down, and he couldn't. And I said, I will let you go down. I will let you go back once you step down on this cable. And he just wouldn't. I said, you're holding on to fear. It's holding you back. He said, yeah, and it's helping me right now. It's a good thing that I'm holding on to this. I was like, no, it's not. And he got mad at me, like mad. Some of you there, I'll, I'll tell you this, some of you there would have been like, I don't know that Shannon's in the right here. Okay? The way I pushed him to go farther than he thought he could go. So he stepped down finally onto the cable, let go, and said, there, are you happy? And I was like, yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. And he walked back. Now, what happened was a few minutes after he got back on the ground, after kind of like hugging it for a little bit, he looked at one of the guides back there and he says, I wish I would have gone farther. I wish fear hadn't held me back. And it came up a couple more times throughout the week. I wish fear hadn't held me back. So I just planted that seed, that moment to say, stop and hold on to that. There's something there. Now, high ropes isn't just an opportunity for me to torture people. <laughs> there's something, I think, that can grow, and there's something that can be learned, and I want to come back to it in a little bit, because I haven't always loved high ropes myself. It's something that I've grown into. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on this morning. So this week, this week, and next week, we're wrapping up our summer series through the parables. How you guys... Uh, been with it. How's that been good for you? Fun to dig into these sometimes cryptic uh, picture teachings of Jesus where he's giving us real life metaphors sometimes of what the kingdom of God is like or what following him is like or what he's growing in our lives. And he's doing it sort of as a way to come around through the back door where we put our defenses down and he can get in and say, oh, that's what you're teaching. That's what you're doing. And his disciples just asked him, why do you use these things? And he did it because sometimes with direct teaching, we can, we can put our defenses up. When we see it coming, we say, nope, I don't want to go there. When you get sneaky and come around the backside, all of a sudden we're shocked into a new reality. Like, oh, now I see it. So, I love the parables. As a sneak peek into what's coming after the parables, one of the key questions that the elders are asking these days about us, about our church, about who we are and how we function and how we move forward, this key question is, what does vitality look like? What does it look like to thrive? Not just survive, but to really flourish. 
What does that look like for us as individuals? What does that look like for us as a body? What does that look like for us at Damascus Road Church? What does vitality look like? And you can expect this fall for us to dig deeper into that question and seek out from God life that is truly life. And Jesus said that he came to bring life, and not just life, but life in abundance. What's he mean by that? What's that look like? And how can we, how can we grab on to that? That's coming this fall. Today, as we wrap up uh, this week and then next week, these, uh, the parables, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about the parable of household treasure. This is one that you may not be familiar with. This is one that happens real quick in one verse at the end of a whole bunch of real famous parables, but I don't want to skip over it because I think Jesus has this wonderful thing going on that I want to dig into today. So let's pray. We're going to open up his word and we're going to see what he has to say to us today. Father, thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself, that you don't want to stay hidden You don't want for us uh, to not know you, to search and search and search and search and come up empty. You're a God who wants to be known. You're a God who knows us, who sees us, and who calls our name. Would you continue to call? Would you make us into people who hear you and people who respond to you, who hear our name on your lips? And know that you're talking to us. Father, help us. Give us discerning minds this morning as we open up your word. Spirit, we give you freedom to work in us. We're hungry for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 13, verses 51 and 52. We'll put these up on the screen. Jesus said, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Make sense? No, no, it doesn't make sense. There's no context there. One of the things that I love about scripture is oftentimes uh, we look at it and we say, Goodness, what is going on here? What's been spoken about just prior to this? Maybe what's coming. We have to wrap this up in context. So let's do that this morning. These verses come toward the end of chapter 13 in the book of Matthew. right? What is chapter 13 in the book of Matthew? Chapter 13 is a series of parables. Eight parables, if you count this one as a parable. right? Eight parables through... The entirety of Matthew 13, that all talk about the kingdom of God. Jesus is showing up and he says, the kingdom is like this and the kingdom is like this and it's growing and it's like this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven parables have just passed. And this is the one that ties them all together. We skip over it. Honestly, I've skipped over it a lot because I haven't seen what he's doing here. So let's just do a a quick rewind to look at the parables that Jesus has just taught in Matthew 13. To teach about the kingdom here in Matthew 13, he used these 
eight parables. The chapter opens with three parables about seeds. The first one is about how we hear, how God plants seeds of His gospel in our life. We're able to hear from God and respond to it. The gospel is growing in the soil of our lives. So the key would be the kingdom seeks to take root in our lives. The second one is about how both the stuff of God and the enemy has been planted and is present in our world today. And sometimes it's really hard to distinguish between the two. For our benefit, God is being patient before wiping out the stuff of the enemy. One day, one day, and it's already started, but one day, evil will be eradicated. And his truth will fully triumph over the lies. The kingdom will be triumphant. The third one is about a mustard seed, the tiniest of all the little seeds, and how from this seemingly insignificant beginning, a huge plant grows and doesn't just grow for its own benefit, but offers refuge to others. The kingdom, he said, is like that. The kingdom from seemingly insignificant beginnings, like a carpenter's son in Nazareth, is growing. The kingdom is growing. The fourth parable, it's not about seeds. Now he changes the subject. Now it's about yeast. And he focuses still on how the kingdom of God is at work among us and how it's growing inside of us, spreading throughout the entire world, just like yeast does in bread, even at times when it can't be seen working. The kingdom of God is present and it's at work. The fifth and sixth parables take a different turn. They describe the remarkable value of the kingdom. And he describes a farmer who found a treasure in a field, who sold all that he had just to acquire this treasure. And a pearl merchant who found the greatest of all pearls. And he sold everything that he had so that he could get, take hold of this pearl beyond all value. And in doing so, both of these had gained more than they had given up to gain the value of the treasure of the field or the pearl. So the kingdom is worth all we have and more. And then the seventh parable is about God casting a wide net and bringing people to him. And the final judgment that separates those who have trusted Jesus and those who have not. And the parable is about how the kingdom brings a final judgment. Seven parables in, Jesus is teaching us what about the kingdom? He says the kingdom is present and at work. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom will be triumphant. The kingdom seeks to take root in our lives. The kingdom is worth everything that we have and more. And the kingdom will bring a final judgment. And then the question in verse 51, have you understood all these things? And this is an improvement because earlier they were like, What's with the parables? We don't understand what's going on. We don't get what you're doing here. They say, yeah, now we get it. Now we get it. And so Jesus responds with this final parable that ties them all together and gives them marching orders. He said to them, therefore, therefore, in light of all these past seven parables, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house 
who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, there's some elements that we should talk about. And say, like, like what, what is he saying? What is he describing? What's going on here? He uses this word scribe, which we don't use today. A scribe in the day were like the top of the Pharisees, the top of the religious leaders, the uh, students of students, the teachers of teachers. They lived and breathed and memorized and spat out the words of the Old Testament. They took God's word seriously, and they taught others in it. And, and so he says every scribe is like every teacher, everybody, every leader, every leader who has been trained. And I love this. I don't speak Greek. I don't read Greek. But I can go to the words in like a concordance that you could do the very same thing and see that the word that he uses when he says who has been trained is the word for disciple. It's everyone who has been discipled. That's the training. So when he says make disciples, he's using this kind of thing. Every leader who has been discipled in the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. So the master of the house who brings out treasure. Also translated, this is the ESV, English Standard Version. Pretty uh, direct word-for-word translation. If you have an NIV uh, or a New Living or something else, it's going to try to get to the heart of the phrase and translate that a little bit for us. And it's this idea of brings out of his storeroom treasures. Okay? Like the master of a house has a storehouse, has these treasures inside. Some of them are old. They've been handed down from generation to generation to generation, and they're treasures in the house. And some of them are new. So it's like a master of a house, an owner of a house, who brings things, these treasures out of his storehouse. And the idea here is that The owner isn't just keeping them for himself. And he's not just bringing them all to flaunt it. As I look at all the treasure I have, the implication here that Jesus is making is that everyone who is fully trained, every leader who is fully trained, will bring out the treasure so that everybody else can enjoy it. That's what he's saying. Some of it's old. It's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Some of it's new stuff, like God's still working. So I want to I do just a, a little bit of a side note here. I think Jesus is drawing together the old and the new covenant. In the Bible, we've got roughly two-thirds of the Bible in the Old Testament and a third of the Bible in the New Testament, something like that. You can flip it open and see uh, the two different. It says Old Testament, New Testament on the table of contents there. And I think Jesus is pulling them together. And he's saying, it's all treasure. Some of it's old treasure. It's been handed down from generation to generation to generation, especially in the day that he was talking, right? The Old Testament was all they had. And he was bringing the new covenant. Jesus is saying, these work together. He didn't come to abolish the old covenant. He didn't come to wipe it away. He didn't come for us to forget it, for us to just say, that two-thirds of the Bible we no longer need, just give me Jesus. He wasn't doing that. He was saying, I came to fulfill it. I came to make it real. God is showing you something, and some of what he's doing is showing us our great need, showing us 
his heart for us. The pages of the Old Testament are wonderful and they're treasure. And now, with the hindsight that we have of being able to see Jesus and being able to see the word that he spoke and the ministry that he brought and the life that happened after that and the work of the Holy Spirit even in our day, we can look back at the words of the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and we can see that all of it points to Jesus. All of it points to Jesus. None of it is alive and breathing on its own. We don't live by following rules. We live because Jesus did. Jesus brings a transformation and he shows us the beauty of the Old Testament made alive. That he did what we couldn't do. And if we just forget the Old Testament and say, just give me Jesus, we forget the value. We forget what he did, what he fulfilled. And we just make it about our own lives. So many times through the pages of the Bible, God says, remember, 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 remember. God has been active throughout the pages of history. Our story as Christians is the Old Testament story fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus and working its way into our lives now today. That's just a side note. I think Jesus is wrapping these up and saying both are good. Now, to his audience, they would struggle to say there's new treasure to be had. They would struggle to saying the old was given, we're good. We don't need anything else. And they would struggle with the words and life and ministry of Jesus. And Jesus was saying there's new treasure to be had. We sometimes struggle in the opposite way. Say, I love the new. I love Jesus. I want to focus on him. And I struggle to accept the value of the old. And he's saying, do both. Both of them are treasure. And God is still working today. And he has more and more to give us. I had this really quick, cool conversation with Micah this morning, my five-year-old over breakfast. And he said, Dad, why does it have to be Sunday? (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I get what you're saying. We have a Sunday routine, don't we? And I said, do you like your class? He said, I do, but not the rest. <laughs> like, okay, good. I love this honest conversation and the candor that five-year-olds can have, right? I said, why? He said, well, it's not exciting. Like a new school, because he's getting ready for full-day uh, five-year-old kindergarten this year like a new school or a hotel. Because once in a while, we'll go and stay in a hotel. And it's like, wow, look at this new place. and exciting, right? Or Florida, he said, because we drove to Florida two years ago. And it was like, that was exciting. So Sunday morning isn't like a new school or a hotel or Florida because we just go every week. It's no longer new. And I said to him, well, new things are cool. But if we always only got new things, we wouldn't be able to know things really well. I said, what would it be like if you got a new family every day? Right? (laughs) What would it be like if you got a new pet every day, but you had to let go of your old pet? Like you, there are, there's beauty in the things that we go back to all the time. What would it be like if you got a new church every Sunday? Now, some people do. 
We call it church shopping. Fine, it serves a purpose, but you miss out on the treasure. If you go to a new church every Sunday, you don't get the depth of relationship that happens once the excitement sometimes has faded. We hold on to what we've been given in the past. We recognize the treasure that has been given, and we eagerly accept what is being being given now. The Old and the New Testament go together, and relationships that stand the test of time, man, that's treasure. As we continue to seek what God is doing now and next, right? Jesus asks, do you understand? And they say, yes. And he basically says, all of the history of God that you've learned from the Old Testament, it finds its fulfillment in me and the the kingdom that I'm establishing now. And here's the point. I'm giving you the treasure of the kingdom so that, like Talisa, you can enjoy it. It's for you. And, it's a big and, and that you can share it with others. It's not just for you. Jesus says, true teachers of the kingdom display the kingdom's treasure for all to see. If Jesus' disciples have truly understood his teaching, they're prepared to teach others the value of the kingdom. If Jesus' disciples have truly received it, they want to give it, right? You know, it's been said, the best way to grow, the best way to learn is to what? Is to teach. The best way to learn something is to teach it. The best way to really fully receive it is to give it away to share it with somebody else, to say, let me tell you what this looks like in my life. And sometimes even in that sharing, you're like, oh, dang, this is good. I want more of that. It's not just about information. Like Jesus isn't just giving them the right answers. He is. What he's saying is true. And it's an exclusive truth, right? But he's not just giving them information. Jesus gave them his life to imitate. I want you to see what's true, and I want you to see it in my life. So you don't just follow and obey these laws. You follow and obey a relationship. Me. You get to see it in action. Imitate me. It's about learning from him both information and imitation. And in the same way that Jesus developed them, he says that they're to make disciples of all nations and teach these new disciples all that they've been taught by Jesus. If you look at Matthew 28, at the end of the book, and he says, now all authority has been given to me after he was arrested and killed and he rose from the dead. He said, all authority is mine. I mean it now. Make disciples. As I've walked with you for these three years, as I've given you my life, as I've taught you about my kingdom, as I've planted seeds of the kingdom in you, now go and give it to others. Raise them up the way that I've raised you up. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who what? Make disciples, right? The kingdom is present and at work. 
The kingdom is growing. The kingdom will be triumphant. The kingdom seeks to take root in our lives. The kingdom is worth everything we have and more. The kingdom will bring a final judgment. And the kingdom is raising up people who will follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. Are you in? Now, today, in this room, are you in? This is not a spectator sport. This is not something that you give yourselves a little bit to. This is something that you go all in for. What are you doing with Jesus? If you've never turned your life over to him, it's time for you to say yes to him. Submit yourself to him. Find your identity in him. Be filled by him. And live the life that he's called you to. If you've never done that, will you do it today? It's time. If you're following Jesus, many of you are. It's time for you to lead. It's time for you to feed not just yourself, but others. It's time for you not just to follow, but now to lead. This is not beyond you. If you look in the mirror and you think, I am not a leader, you're wrong. Leadership is not a one-size-fits-all kind of deal. Leadership boils down to influence. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a formal role or a badge that's engraved with your name somewhere. Leadership means influence. Who do you have influence over? Not in a manipulative way, but in a way that says you make an impact in my life. Who is that in your world? Who do you make an impact in? Because the more I recognize the gift that I've been given, the more I can give it away to others. The more you recognize the gift you've been given, the more you can give it away to others. So I do have a confession going back to the ropes course. I don't love heights. I really don't. I've been super tentative about heights. But I've also spent a lot of time on ropes courses. Like, going back years and years and years, I remember being trained on ropes courses and how to set them up. Back in the day, we used what was called a dynamic belay. The belay is somebody who holds your lifeline so that if you fall, you don't splat, right? But you fall, and they got you. A dynamic belay is there's a person waiting and ready to catch you. Today, they use a static belay, which means you're clipped into a wire. You fall, that catches you. And I love the relationship of the dynamic. I really do. And uh, the way that it's set up is kind of similar to the static belay. There's a big cable, and it's got a pulley on it, and the rope goes up through the pulley to the person who's on the element and then down to the ground to the belayer. And then they walk across, and if you fall, you just lock down, and they, they swing safely. Scary, but you're safe, right? Those pulleys and ropes can't stay there uh, through the weather indefinitely. They have to get set up every time a group comes out and then take it down after. And I remember getting trained in Uh, setting up those pulleys and ropes. So you have to climb up a telephone pole on staples, clipping in every staple along the way, and then you have to 
work the pulley and you're stretching up and you're feeding the rope through it and it's unnerving. You're like, you're making real sure that you're clipped in every, every step, every climb, every staple. And there, the first time I did it, man, I, I was sweating. And then as I did it more and more and more, I didn't get careless. I just got, uh, had more fun with it. I started to enjoy it. So that I got to, when groups came through, I've already been up there. I've already tested it. I've already been out on the elements. I've experienced the fear. I know what it's like, and it's real. But now I'm able to, like, sit back in my rope and watch them go through, like, I know, I know, I know. I know what you're doing. I know how it feels. And it's grown for me. And this perspective has grown for me as I've grown on high ropes. I've been with lots of people who get stuck because of fear. 40 feet up is no joke. And every time I push them beyond where they think they can go. And again, the goal isn't for me just to traumatize people like, look, I dealt with the fear, now you got to go for it. Ah! (laughs) It's not just for me to traumatize them. High ropes teaches trust. And the beautiful thing about following Jesus and how he is a giver of truth is it's found everywhere. The spiritual realities are running parallel to everything that we do in life. So we don't just go up high ropes for excitement. We go up high ropes and we start to learn what it looks like to trust Jesus with our life. What am I holding on to? What am I uh, holding back from? Because I'm afraid. Man, we get to have a conversation in an intense moment. Not just about stepping out onto a cable, but stepping into Jesus and leaving fear behind. That's something that I've gained by growing in ropes and seeing those teaching moments. So, uh, this guy this week left angry. And again, within a few minutes, he was saying, I wish I could do that again. And I had a chance to be able to go back to him and say, at the end of the week, what if we could go up again? Right now. He's like, oh, no. (laughs) 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 What if you had an opportunity to go up again? You've been talking about wanting to leave fear behind. What if you had a chance right now? We'll sneak away. Nobody Nobody else will even know, except a guide who will be there to make sure that we're safe. We're not doing something stupid, right? What if we could just sneak away and you could drop fear? I walked away. I said, I'll, I'll let you decide. You come and let me know if you want to wait for another time or go for it. And a few minutes later, he walked up and said, I think I'm going to wait for another time. And I said, no. <laughs> Why? Take this opportunity now. He said, okay. And I'll let him tell the story uh, in the next couple of weeks because it's real cool. It's real fun. This is something, the reason I'm telling it is because it's something that God has grown in me. A real-life situation, a real-life tool that I can use to help others trust Jesus. Now, he's done that for you in all kinds of ways. What do you have in your tool belt? Michael Leeson has asked the question a number of times, what has God put in your hand? How has he wired you? What has he given you 
to be able to use to help others trust him and grow in him. We pass on what we've been given. As we follow Jesus, we help others follow Jesus. We're made disciples so that we can make disciples, right? Talisa is doing it. Many of you are doing it. And it's so good to see that we need, we need everyone engaged. What has God put in your hand? What has God given you that you can turn and use for the kingdom? We're going to finish up here. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And I want you to take just a minute to end here. And I want you to reflect. I want you to think. I want you to really ask God, God, what have you given me? What can I use? What do I have? What kind of leadership are you calling out of me? If you think, I have nothing to offer, and you're following Jesus, ask him to correct you. Ask him to show you. Ask him to put that in front of you. Let's spend a minute doing that, and we'll wrap up.